Well, good morning. I hope everybody had a, a, a great Christmas celebration uh, uh, this week and uh, that it was a restful and uh, enjoyable time for you with your family and friends and loved ones. Uh, we're so uh, grateful to have you here, here at Springbrook again this morning. And uh, what a joy it is uh, week to week to be able to uh, share in uh, one another, uh, to fellowship with one another, to lift our voices together uh, before the Lord. As you came in this morning, you should have received a copy of uh, the bulletin for this week. And I want to encourage you to take a little bit of time to look over that so that you're aware of the different things that we have uh, coming up. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some of those things in a little while. But you'll also notice there's a tear-off slip in there, a communication card. And we would be delighted if you would take just a, a few moments to fill that out. You can share some prayer requests. You can sign up for some of the different events which are taking place. It's just a really helpful way to be able to interact and to communicate. And so I want to encourage you, whether you're a regular here at Springbrook or this is even your very first time, just to take a moment to fill that out and allow us to connect with you. As uh, we get ready to turn the page on the calendar, uh, some of us are perhaps already thinking a little bit about how we can do some things differently in 2020. Uh, to different people talk about things like resolutions, New Year's resolutions, or, or if they set goals for a new year. Um, I am pretty convinced that uh, the gym that I go to is going to be packed uh, for about three days, and then it will be back to normal, um, because people set goals, and then we don't really follow through on those. Some of us probably have goals to maybe eat more healthily. Um, I think I consumed way too much sugar this Christmas, and so I'm kind of attempting to sort of peel back on that a little bit uh, as, we, as we move into the new year. Uh, but it's not just in terms of our physical health, our physical nourishment that we need to be thinking ahead for the new year. Uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, as, as we get ready for a new year, it's really uh, just a wonderful opportunity for us again to, uh, to take a look at our own walk with the Lord and specifically at the idea of, of what we're doing to nourish ourselves spiritually. And, and not just making a goal that we then do for one or two days, but actually uh, making a plan to get into God's Word here in 2020. And uh, we're actually going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, Pastor Rich is away in California, so I've got a nice comfortable chair up here uh, because what he doesn't know doesn't hurt him. But um, uh, so what we're actually going to do is, is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture together, and I'm going to share with you, this is actually right out of my own journal, um, a, a Bible study that I did, uh, because sometimes one of the greatest barriers to us digging into God's Word is we don't really know how to begin. Uh, this, with that in mind, uh, I want to uh, encourage us. First of all, we need to develop a plan if we are to nourish ourselves effectively spiritually as we enter into the new year with this incredible book that God has given to us. It's his revealed word given to us. But we need to make a commitment. We actually need to recognize that, that a part, a vital part of the Christian life is getting into God's word on a daily basis. And so we need to schedule a time because things that are important to us, we make time for. 
For some of us, we are, we're fresher, we're more effective at things in the morning. For others, we're, we're maybe night people and, and, and uh, in the evening is a better time for us. It doesn't really matter when, and it doesn't matter if we call it a devotional time or a quiet time or, or, or whatever we call it, but to set aside a time is going to help us to have a plan to be deliberate about getting into God's Word. Then we need to gather the tools. Put a few of them up here. Now, I have said to gather a physical Bible. And what I mean by that is one of these old-fashioned things with paper. Um, Please don't misunderstand me. I love technology. It can be tremendously helpful. I have a smartphone. Uh, I have a Bible app on my smartphone. There are times when I show up early to a meeting and I'll pull that out and I'll read on that. But here's the thing. If we are to get into God's Word, I strongly want to encourage you to have a physical Bible that is your primary Bible for reading and studying. There's a few different reasons for that. One of them is simply the issue of context. Um, You see, when you open a Bible... Uh, you can see not only the passage that you're reading and studying, but you see what is around it. Uh, you, you, you see the context, you see the verses that are around it, and you are better able to understand where it falls within Scripture. It's very interesting that there's actually been a lot of studies now uh, coming out related to brain science. And one of the things that they have found is that we cannot, our brains cannot distinguish between Uh, the different things that we read on mobile devices. So what I mean by that is if we are reading a a Facebook post or a blog post or a news article or a passage of Scripture, our brains make no differentiation between that. And the danger of that is what we do is when we recall that, we actually place it all on the same level of significance and importance. Uh, it's also been proven that, uh, that there is a lower retention rate for things that we read on a digital device as well. Uh, but there's also just a really a discipleship issue related to a, a physical Bible, especially for those of us who are parents or grandparents. Some of us had the privilege of growing up in a home where we would come down early in the morning and we would find our mother sat at the kitchen table with her Bible open in front of her. And for some of us, that left a significant mark on us. The problem with a mobile device is that when our kids see us on that, they don't know if we're reading the Bible or if we're playing Candy Crush or whatever the most recent game is. I know that's from a few years ago, so I apologize. Uh, But... uh, we also ought to have a reading plan. And one of the things here at Springbrook that we're in, in, encouraging is, uh, is a Bible reading challenge for 2020. And if you go to springbrook.org reading, you'll see that there are a number of different uh, uh, reading plans there that you can choose from, that you can download and you can follow along. Sometimes the reason we don't get into God's Word is we just simply don't know where to go. And so having a reading plan can be really helpful. You also want to have a, uh, a notebook and a pen. And uh, uh, those of you who are really spiritual... We'll also have a cup of coffee, black coffee, of course. And um, if I could ask for one thing entering into 2020, it would be that we would be a people who bring our Bibles to church. I think that uh, Pastor uh, Rich and Pastor Matt would echo this as well. We would much rather you not be looking at us, but be looking at God's Word 
as we're preaching each week. Following along, digging into the Word together. I know that uh, sometimes it's helpful to have the text up on the screen, um, but to see it there in your Bible is, I think, a very significant thing and helpful thing in your own study. And so uh, what I want us to do is, is I want to introduce you to something that actually I use when I'm discipling people, and, and it's what I call a, a, a read study. And so I'm going to walk through a, a quick Bible study, and, and, and I call it a read study simply because it has these four different words, the R-E-A-D, reflect, explain, apply, and do. And reflect simply has to do with reading over the passage and really essentially saying, what does it say? What does it say? Uh, and then explain is really answering the question, what does it mean? Apply is, is to think about, okay, how does this passage apply? What are the timeless truths, the principles that come out of this passage? And I like to take it one step further and, um, and, and move to what I call doing to do. You see, sometimes I can principalize something. You know, we can principalize the idea of we should read the Bible more. We should pray more. Well, that's great. But what am I actually going to do about it? So I like to take it that extra step. And so this morning, we're going to spend a few minutes walking through this um, as we look together at a passage from the New Testament. And it's found in the book of Galatians, in Galatians and chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 begins with these words, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. One of the things that I like to do is is, uh, I'm doing a reading plan, is to, to, to follow along the reading each day, to take time to read each day in Scripture. But then um, about once a week or so, I'll reflect on one of the passages that I really wanted to dig in a little bit more. And, and, and I was reading through Galatians, and I came across verse 10. And as I read verse 10, I thought, I need to dig into this a little bit more because Paul's talking about this idea of approval of God or, or, or approval of men, of, of pleasing men. And I've got to be honest with you. I've got a confession to make. I struggle with being a people pleaser. I want people to like me. And sometimes I face the temptation of of changing things a little bit in order to try to please people. And so when I came across this, I thought, I need to spend a little bit more time studying this. And so I decided uh, on this particular week to do my read study, uh, to take about 25 or 30 minutes or so to do a study um, on this passage. 
And so the first thing, the, the, the R represents the word reflect. And the first thing that I like to do is in my journal is uh, uh, to open up uh, to a blank sheet of paper and uh, to write the word or to write the passage and then to write the word reflect. And, and I like to summarize it because this is really helpful for me then when I go back and look through my journal. And so I, I simply summarized it. And if you're interested, this is actually right out of my own journal time. Um, Paul rebukes the Galatians for turning to a different gospel. So I simply marked down, this is what I kind of think that this passage is about in summary. But what I really want to reflect on in particular is verse 10. For, I am, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I always want to understand it in light of the context. I want to understand what this passage is and then what I am to glean from this verse in light of the passage. And so, again, going back to the text, one of the things that can be helpful sometimes is to mark it up. And, and, and I've done this just on the screen here so you can see an, a, a demonstration. So, so Paul, an apostle, so he's, he's referring to his office, his title, his position there. But he's saying, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all of the brothers who are with me to churches in Galatia. And then we see um, uh, that he, he greets them, grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And so I'll, I'll kind of find connecting words or I'll underline something which seems to jump out of the page uh, uh, to me. And, and, and then when I get to this explain section, I simply in my journal will do this. I will put a bullet point and I will write things that help me to understand what's going on in the passage. So, for example, I wrote here, Paul expresses that his calling as an apostle as well as his message are from God and not from man. And that's how he starts in verse 1. He says, not from or according to man, but from God. And then uh, he and his traveling companions are writing to the churches of Galatia. This is multiple local churches throughout this region. Uh, I may turn to the back of my Bible where I've got a map, and I may look to see where Galatia actually is, just so I have an understanding of that. And then I'll uh, continue, and, and, and another bullet point that I put down as, as, as I was studying this is Paul begins his letter with a summary of the gospel in verse 4. And I noticed that, that we see this because he says, Jesus gave himself for our sins. More than that, he gave himself in order to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, one of the things when I'm studying is I'm asking questions. And so when I, I, when I don't understand something or I'm like, well, what does that mean? I simply will mark down question mark in a red pen like that. Uh, verse 1 reminds us that he also rose from the dead. And then back to verse 4, it tells us that this is all according to the will of our God and Father. What's the significance of that? And so as I'm seeking to explain this, I'm asking questions of the text. I'm just thinking it over. Sometimes we can be tempted to read over a biblical passage very, very quickly. And we get to the end of it and we're like, well, I can check that off because I've done my reading plan for today. But we stop and reflect and explain the passage. 
And so when I mark down a question, I then kind of go back and I, and I mull it over a little bit prayerfully and think about, well, okay, well, what does he mean in order to deliver us from the present evil age? Well, it means that he delivers us from the present world system and our slavery to it just as much as we are delivered from eternal judgment. What does that mean? Not only are our sins forgiven in Christ, but he also liberates us from our former way of life so that we can live new, under a new set of priorities. A, a life that is, is, is honoring holy to Christ. We've been set free. We have been delivered. And this is according to the will of God, our Father, which is the definite plan and purpose of God for his own glory. And so if this is according to God's will, then that means that he also gives the enablement for us to be able to live this way. As I continued on again, marking up the text here a little bit, um, I am astonished, and I circled that in red because I'm thinking that's a kind of a strong word for the Apostle Paul to use. Astonished. Why is he astonished? He's astonished because they are quickly deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ. And they're turning to a different gospel. But then the text goes on and says, not that there really is another one, but rather the problem is that some people are seeking to trouble you by distorting the gospel. And verse 8, but even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. As I've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And simply all that I'm doing here is marking and observing things and asking questions. And so as I continue to explain in my journal here, I I put another bullet point. His readers were abandoning the gospel of grace through Christ and turning to a different gospel. But then that led me to ask this question, how were they doing this? And Is there really another gospel? But the text itself tells us no, yet some people try to distort it. And so that got me thinking, well, how do people try to distort the gospel? What does that look like? And again, as I was reflecting, as I was studying this passage, I began to uh, list some different distortions of the gospel. And so I took my coffee in hand. And energized by the Holy Spirit. Began to write some of these down. And so the first one I called, and as I wrote this in my notes, is this, this seems to be kind of like a hybrid gospel. And I think that this was, this was something that the church there in Galatia was, was wrestling with. They were really holding on to this idea that they were justified by grace. That is, that their sins were forgiven, that they were saved by grace, but they were, sanct- they were to be sanctified by their own effort by their own works, by keeping the law, by following certain Jewish practices, by doing different tasks. And in fact, if we had the time, we could see in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, that this is precisely what was going on there in the Galatian church. And so the Judaizers, that is those who were of a Jewish heritage, who were trying to enforce Jewish practices on the church, and legalists were those who were holding to what we might call this distorted, hybrid gospel. 
But then I started to think, well, yeah, but what about what we see around us today? And, and, and so I wrote down what I call the cheap grace gospel. Uh, how is this a distortion? It's this distortion because, because it teaches really that there's no cost, uh, that there's no need of transformation. Just confess your sins and then keep on doing whatever you were doing. That's a distortion. That is not a biblical gospel. And yet, increasingly, we see this kind of idea infiltrating the church. A few others, I, I thought about what a, a slight uh, um, extension of that, something that we might call the hyper-grace gospel. This is this idea of one and done. There's no need of repentance. There's no accountability before God. Uh, we, we prayed a prayer. Our sins are now forgiven. Uh, now uh, um, repentance is not an ongoing part of, uh, of the Christian life. There's no accountability. Again, this idea of I can do whatever I please. My place in heaven is secure So, what difference does it make? And again, this is a distortion of the biblical gospel. Uh, And then I thought about uh, what I called the Love Wins Gospel. I kind of based this this title on a book that came out a few years ago, but essentially it's really a false gospel of universalism that removes Christ altogether. I mean, people may say, yeah, it's all about Jesus, but what they're really saying is there's no real need of salvation. Because God is a God of love who would not condemn anyone to hell. It's it's this idea that God is so loving that it really makes no difference. And the problem with that, when we take one attribute of God and divorce it from all of the rest, is that we remove the necessity for salvation. We do not hold to the fact that we are in desperate state, desperately hopelessly separated from God and in need of a Savior who is Christ Jesus. Or a a, a slight uh, extrapolation from that is, again, something which is very popular in our culture. It's the whatever path you choose is fine as long as you are sincere perspective. And, and, And there in Galatia, they were having a problem. They were turning quickly to a different gospel. And Paul warns his readers about any who would teach another gospel. So again, as I'm there in my journal, I'm just making these notes along the way as I'm kind of turning it over in my mind, prayerfully thinking about what does this look like? How do I explain this passage? What's going on? What does it mean? So I said, we must be on guard and know the gospel well enough to discern falsehood. I already pointed out, it's really interesting that Paul actually starts in this letter with kind of a recap, if you like, of what the gospel is. Because he wants them to know well enough what the gospel is so that they recognize any distortion of it. He says something really interesting. He says, even a seemingly angelic messenger should not be believed if contrary to the gospel as revealed in God's word. So think about this. If if an angel were to show up at the foot of your bed tomorrow morning with a message for you. If it is contrary to the gospel as revealed once for all in the word of God, it is a lie and should not be entertained. We live in a world that is constantly seeking new revelation that has this idea of newer is better. And so the latest ideas 
But Paul is very clear as he writes to the Galatian church. In fact, a curse is announced against false teachers, against those who are distorting the message. In fact, he says, even if we were to show up and preach you a different message than we preached and you received and by which you were saved, then let us be accursed. So I wrote in my journal, and if we had time, we'd go into this a little bit more, but uh, I wrote, what is a curse? And is it appropriate to pronounce a curse against someone? I think we can at least say if somebody is distorting the gospel and teaching others a distorted view of it, they need to be called out. They need to be called out. But remember, I was kind of interested in verse 10, and so I wrote in my journal, but how does all of this fit into verse 10? That, that idea of being a people pleaser or a God pleaser. So I started to reflect as I looked over what I'd seen so far, and I said the gospel message is good news, but it's not popular in the eyes of the world. That Paul knows that his identity and his calling are from God and not from man. We saw that in verse 1. And so he concludes here that it is not possible to live as both a people pleaser and a God pleaser. Ow. Instead, if we are to know the freedom of being a servant of Christ, we must lay lay people pleasing down at the altar and live instead for an audience of one. It's really what Paul is talking about here as he gets to verse 10. And, And so, you see, in the context of the book of Galatians, Paul has been accused of catering to Gentiles and compromising the Jewish laws. But here he explains that 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 he is not people-pleasing. He's not trying to cater to one group of people in order to be accepted by that one group of people. Because if he was trying to do that, if he were trying to please people, it would have been a whole lot easier for him to stay in the pharisaical system that he grew up in. But he's saying, no, I have left, I have laid aside my old temptation, my old way of wanting to fit in, of to, uh, 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 to please other people, and I have set my eyes instead on pleasing Christ alone. And so again, going back to this idea of kind of a summary um, of these verses, I wrote down, there is one true gospel, and it is from God. It cannot be altered to fit what is popular. There is one true gospel, it is from God, and it cannot be altered, it cannot be distorted in order to fit what is popular. And that's really what this this passage is talking about. And it came simply by walking through the passage, asking a few questions, and seeing the relationship that was there. Reflection, and then explaining, and then I began to move to the A, which is to apply and again, right there in my journal, take my pen and, uh, and now write the, the word apply and underline it. And this is what I put down, the bullet points. First of all, like Paul, my identity and my calling are from God. They're not from people's opinions of me. I mean, think about this for a moment. Just as the Apostle Paul recognized that his apostleship, that his identity in Christ were rooted not in what other people said about him or thought about him, but ultimately in who God had declared him to be. So that is true of every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus Christ. People may label you in a certain way. They may tarnish you with a certain brush. They may have a certain, uh, uh, certain things that they say about you, but, but your identity is not based on the opinions of others. It is to be rooted in what God 
has declared to be true about you. There is only one gospel by which we are saved and sanctified. So I wrote, I must be on guard against straying into self-reliance or into legalism or a more popular or palatable message. I have to tell you, sometimes as I'm talking with people who don't yet know Christ, I face a temptation as I begin to share with them the gospel to sort of water it down a little bit, to make it a little bit more comfortable, a little, a, a little nicer for them, a little more palatable. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't seek to be wise in the way in which we communicate, in a way in which they can understand and comprehend, a way that speaks to their need and the, the, the burden on their heart. But it is to say that we don't get to change the message in order for people to like us more. Scripture is abundantly clear that the message of the cross is a fragrance of life to those who are being saved, but a stench of death to those who are perishing. He said, I'm fooling myself if I think I can be a people pleaser and live for the pleasure of God at the same time. But also said, living for the approval of God does not mean that I'm obnoxious. Instead, I should look to the example of Christ. And I have to tell you, at that moment, I suddenly had a whole lot of pictures of people that I knew who had kind of been sort of obnoxious in the way in which they sort of tried. And, and, and as I was praying about this, I was thinking about in Matthew 22, how when some of the scribes and Pharisees, those who were kind of enemies of Jesus, if you like, came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true. And you teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Jesus didn't compromise the message, and yet he was known as being a person of utter integrity, a person who, who lived for the glory of the Father. I thought, that's how I want to live as well. And so... In application, I'm thinking more at the principal level, but then I like to take it and root it a little bit more in terms of, okay, how do I respond to this? So I put in my journal, I need to root myself in the calling and identity of God. But how do I do that? And so I, I put down, I need to read and personalize Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. It's a wonderful passage there in the book of Ephesians which talks about my identity in Christ, what Christ has done for all who are in him. And, and, and so I needed to go and revisit that. Uh, I, I put in my journal, I need to take time to review the who I am in Christ bookmark and pray and meditate on it each day. This is just a little tool that I have, and you could uh, find it if you're interested right there at transformdiscipleship.org. And, uh, and download it for yourself. And it's just um, a, a declaration of scriptural truths about a believer's identity in Christ along with a passage. So I determined to take uh, just a little bit of time each day to pray through one of those and to reflect on one of those uh, uh, each day from that bookmark. Something very practical to root myself in the calling and identity of God. I said, I need to ground myself in the gospel so that I'm not drawn away to a distorted picture of it. And, and right there in my journal, I just took a few moments to, to pen out again a brief declaration of the gospel, that God is holy and perfect, that I have rebelled against God and I'm a slave to sin, hopeless and helpless to rescue myself. But that God being rich in mercy gave his one and only son to redeem me. That by grace... And through faith, I am saved and I am forgiven. 
that the Holy Spirit now dwells in me, and in obedience to God's word and reliance on the Holy Spirit, I am to live each day being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. That I await the consummation of my salvation when I enter into the prepared presence of Jesus for all eternity. And as this passage is really highlighting, this gospel is for all people and is unchanging because it is from God. So to, I sought to remind myself of the essence of the gospel. And then finally, I wrote in my journal, I need to confess to God that I struggle with fear over what others think about me, that I am often more concerned about gaining the approval of people than the approval of God. So what do I do about that? I take time to confess and pray for God's help. I took time to memorize Galatians 1.10 so that this idea of being a God-pleaser rather than a people-pleaser was in my mind and on my heart. And I even, in light of this, made a little sign for my office where I can see it every day. Who am I trying to please? See, we need to dig into God's Word. We need, as we turn the page on our new year, to to, to think about what it looks like to go further in and higher up in our walk with Christ. To grow in maturity. And one of the ways in which it's vital that that we grow in maturity is by getting into the Word. Just a very simple way is to reflect, to take a moment to think through and to explain, but then to go the next step and say, how does this apply and what am I going to do about it? To take time in our schedule to get before God and prayerfully look to his word. You know, Martin Luther once said, just as it is the business of cobblers to make shoes and tailors to make clothes. So it is the business of Christians to pray and to study God's Word. There are a lot of goals, a lot of resolutions, a lot of plans that you can make for 2020. Many of them are probably very, very good. But what's your plan to make sure that you are spiritually nourished. What's your plan? My prayer for myself as I enter into this new year is that I would lay aside the fear that often tempts me to want to live a life that pleases others and instead Focus on what it is to know the pleasure of God. My prayer for you is that you would grow in that as well. But one of the ways in which we are strengthened to live for the pleasure of God, knowing the freedom and the joy and the fullness of salvation, which is ours if indeed you are in Christ, is by digging in and drinking deeply of this glorious word that he's given us. 
Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that though the page on the calendar is about to turn, and in some ways, while many things are going to stay the same, this year is undoubtedly going to bring many new things. We thank you that in the midst of that, that your word is unchanging, that it is always true and always faithful, and you have given it to us in love. Lord, I pray for us that we would be a people who know what it is to delight in your word. To be taught by it, to drink deeply of it, and more than that, Lord, to live our lives centered on the gospel and in the freedom that comes from knowing that ultimately we live for your pleasure, for your glory, for an audience of one. Lord, forgive us for when our fear tempts us to do as the Galatians were tempted to do, to stray to a distortion. Instead, Lord, keep our eyes fixed on you. Give us a hunger for your truth, a hunger for your word. And Lord, in this coming year ahead, would you strengthen us that we might know you and delight in you more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.